So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Welcome to Top 5, a show where we count things down from number 5 all the way to number 1. This week, you know, I thought we had done a topic like this uh, before, but I went through the archives and I couldn't find anything. Top 5 underrated movies. Now, these are movies that probably get a lot of acclaim. Uh, They may even be bad movies. Uh, They may be uh, uh, fan favorites, but panned by by, uh, reviewers. Top 5 underrated movies is the topic this week. And I think I've got a pretty good list. All of mine are the the oldest one on my list this week is 2018. Oh, there's wow. Two of them on my list, the 2018. So these are recent movies. So there's really if you're like, oh, man, I really can't go and watch Freaks because it's not available streaming anywhere. All the movies on my list are readily accessible through some online digital streaming service. So you should have no excuse for not being able to access uh, these films, even if they are very Very low rated, but I'm going to start with my number five this week, Matthew. It's one Mm -hmm. that I've talked about before and just recently come out. It is The Northman. It's directed by uh, Robert Eggers based on the legend of Amleth, uh, which, of course, was the basis for William Shakespeare's Hamlet. If you are familiar with the William Shakespeare play, uh, then a lot of these things will seem uh, very um, uh, recognizable to you, even though the setting takes place in Iceland and not in... uh, in in the uh, in the Scandinavian countries, this stars Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman. Uh, let's see, Anna Taylor Joy is in it. Ethan Hawke, Bjork, William Defoe, or I'm sorry, Willem Defoe is in this. Uh, this <laughs> is a murder revenge story. Uh, you, you know, the young prince uh, uh, Amleth is uh, is going to be crowned a king, and his father is trying to teach him the ways of what it means to be a Viking. And uh, while they're out visiting a shaman. Uh, the uh, brother comes and murders the king. Amleth escapes as a young boy. Uh, the king then goes on and marries Nicole Kidman, uh, the queen, and they father children and everything. Meanwhile, Amleth goes out and he is picked up and becomes part of Viking culture. Basically, he's the berserker, one of the berserkers in their group when they go out and, and raid. And then he hears that uh, his mother is still alive, that uh, the, his uh, father or his uh, brother, or no, his uncle is uh, taken over the throne, but fled to a different uh, fled to Iceland. And so he goes to seek revenge. And in the process, he meets Anna Taylor Joy and a lot, a lot of really great visuals in this. Uh, I know a lot of people are like, oh, William Shakespeare is the worst. I don't want to watch William Shakespeare. Um, you know, the the tragedy of Macbeth, which is currently on Apple Plus, I don't know how many people have been watching it, but it is more of a straightforward adaptation of something that you might find from William Shakespeare, uh, but, uh, or Willem Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case, you know, there have been a lot of other adaptations that people don't realize, like 10 things I hate about you, uh, is a great right. example of a Shakespeare play that is, uh, that's a, gone through the adaptation, but the Northman, I really think not a lot of people have checked this out, even though it tried to do wide release, 
it barely made. I think it just it grossed sixty four million dollars against a, a ninety million dollar budget. Uh, it is a good movie, good visuals, good story, good solid revenge stuff. It's a little bit nihilistic, mm. but then again, I think uh, no offense to our friends in Sweden, Norway, it's and Finland, uh, but uh, nihilism seems to be uh, kind of uh, kind of acceptable uh, there quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, this yeah. is a this is a good movie, Matthew. They're nihilists, Donnie. They don't believe in anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so that is my number five, The Northman. What do you have for your number five? Amazingly, those of you listening right now, uh, get ready to check one off of your unexpected bingo answer because my number five is a movie from 2021. And miraculously, it's a movie that I don't feel like I should like. Um, First of all, it is sort of a historical biopic. Uh, and it is based on the life of a character that I'm not particularly interested in. It is dramatic, but it's directed by one of the members of the state, Michael Showalter. And it features an actress with whom I have a very, very problematic relationship vis-a-vis the movies. Um, that's Jessica, what's her name? Jessica Chastain. It's The Eyes of Tammy Faye, uh, which has oh, been yeah, making is- the rounds of cable. Yeah, this has got uh, Andrew Garfield in it, uh, plays uh, uh, Jim Baker. Yep. Andrew Garfield is kind of amazing as Jim Baker because he never looks like Jim Baker. He always looks like Spider-Man, but he sounds. But his affectations and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he has the Baker thing down. And of course, I mean, Jess Chastain is a very good actress. I don't know if she ever really feels like Tammy Faye. But she also really inhabits the character in a way that I think is fascinating. And it walks us all the way through, you know, their, their meeting, uh, building their big Christian empire, all of the hypocrisy in it, all of the things that ended up. It features uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, of all people, playing Jerry Falwell. Mm-hmm. You remember Jerry Falwell? Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, please it's, forgive me. Uh, <laughs> So Vincent D'Onofrio's Jerry Falwell is just amazing. And you can tell that he has nothing but contempt for the man. It's wonderful. Um, But the way that Tammy Faye and the way that Jim are portrayed feels straightforward, but relatively sympathetic. But it doesn't necessarily shy away from the hypocrisy. And there are a couple of moments where, you know, there's a moment where uh, Tammy Faye is, is super high on diet pills. That is just epically strange. And of course, it ends with a moment that almost feels like a Baz Luhrmann thing and comes together. But if you haven't seen it and you're like, I don't want to see this, you know, I'm too young to remember this or even worse. I remember the PTL scandal and I don't want any part of it. This is a remarkably good movie. And I have not heard anything about it. And I don't know if that's because, you know. Nobody's seen it because of pandemic or because it just kind of, you know, dropped off the end of the pier. But I actually, uh, Jess was promoting it on her Twitter. I follow her and I was like, huh, this looks interesting. And it just popped up on cable and I sat down and watched it and I was just like, oh, oh, this is good. Yeah, no, this has won a, a, a crap ton of awards. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's won, you know, Academy Award for Best Actress, Best Makeup and Hairstyle. Oh, has it? Uh, yeah, wow. yeah. Uh, Jessica Chastain won for that. Uh, she was nominated for the Alliance of Women Film Journalists Award, the British Film Academy at one for Best Makeup and Hair, Chicago Film Critics Association, Best Actress for uh, Jessica Chastain, Best Actress for the oh, Critics' nice. Choice, Best a- Actress for the Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critics Association. I'm trying to see if uh, 
Uh, anybody else besides Jessica Chanchit? Oh, there he goes. Uh, Houston Film Critics Society Awards Best Supporting Actor, Andrew Garfield. Uh, the British-Irish, <laughs> um, he was only nominated for that. The British-Irish sure. uh, Actor of the Year, Andrew Garfield from the London Film Critics Circle. I mean, the list goes on and on and on uh, for this nice. one. So this is this has won a lot of awards. And I looked at it on Rotten Tomatoes, and Rotten Tomatoes says it's about a 6.5. And I'm like, this movie is a solid 8 for me. You know, I'm looking at these things. People are like, oh, it's a C minus. It's a B plus. I won't say it's an A plus movie, but I think it's better than a B plus on, you know, your standard scale. And I feel like it's a movie that people could talk about. And I haven't heard anybody talking about it. And you should. That makes it underrated by my calculations. Uh, So that makes it my number five. All right. Very cool. So there is, as we get into my number four, there is this genre of film that is giant ensemble class, uh, cast mm-hmm. doing not comedy, but like uh hardcore action. So I don't know which one started it, but the one that might come to mind for a lot of people is smoking aces where, mm-hmm. you know, there's a guy that's holed up in a casino and hotel and uh, he's got a hit out on him. So all these hitmen come to town played by a variety of big name stars. And it's just a murder fest from top to bottom. Um, the, there is that genre of film, which I'm fascinated by just completely fascinated by. And there are big, I mean, I think John wick kind of falls into that category as well, but uh, my number four is bad times at the El, uh, El Royale, which is a 2018 uh, thriller that takes place in this hotel that straddles the border between California and Nevada. So on one side, you can gamble on the other side. You can't. Um, but the way the script goes down is somebody has a bunch of money and all these hitmen show up in this very remote hotel and all heck bl- uh, breaks loose. Uh, it is, it's got Jeff Bridges, uh, Dakota Johnson, John Hamm, uh, Lewis Pullman, Chris Hemsworth are all uh, some of the actors in this piece. It's just, it's beautifully shot. First of all, I think a lot of the action sequences when you're shooting guns and things are blowing up and you're finding secret corridors in this hotel and everything. I find that extremely fascinating. It's well edited. I think it could, it could have had just one more pass with uh, maybe the script, but here's the thing. This kind of a movie doesn't really require a lot of thought. It's really just who's going to make it out alive. Are the people you're rooting for going to survive Are the people that you hope die, die. And uh, that's what this kind of a movie is. I, it is, it doesn't, it gets a lot of, um, it gets, it gets slammed a little bit, I think because of the hyperviolence. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, I think it's really worth, uh, checking out. Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked anything like at any kind of, um, um, you know, you know, rotten tomato scores or anything like that. Uh, so mm-hmm. I don't know where it sits there, but, I think it's I think it's worth checking out if you are just needing some kind of let me just turn my brain off and just watch people, you know, uh, shooting at each other in a in a fictional way. Not like the horrible things that go on in our country kind of way, but there's somebody to hate and somebody to like in this movie that you're going to find it and you hope that they get theirs. But, yeah, that's that's why this ends up on my number four. I was going to put smoking aces on there, but uh, I really wanted something a little bit more recent. And there's the uh, hotel one with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis uh, that mm-hmm. came out like 
last year, two years ago. It's also really good. That's kind of falls into this same genre, but bad times at the El Royale is my number four underrated movie. I always confuse that with hotel Artemis, which I think had, that's um, the uh, Jamie Lee Curtis one. Is it? Is yeah, that Jamie Lee so. Curtis? I thought that was, um, uh, uh, the other. Lady, oh no, Jody, uh, Jody Foster. From, Sorry. That's right. Jody. Foster. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hotel yes. Artemis is yeah. the other one I was thinking of. It yeah, had Dave Batista in it. Yeah. They're very much both the same kind of a movie. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. Uh, if you like hotel Artemis, I think you're going to like, uh, the El Royale. Uh, just mm-hmm. it's, it's that kind of a thing. So if that's your genre of film, go check it out. I think it's underrated. Uh, Matthew, what do you have for your number four? My number four is a movie that I literally completely ignored when it hit the movie theaters. Uh, It actually went to theaters in 2016 at a time where I was just like, huh, okay. And I didn't necessarily have an appreciation of the uh, creator yet. I didn't appreciate him until my kid got addicted to a show that he was in called Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And then we started looking for other things with Andy Samberg and bumped into pop star, never stop, never stopping. And this movie is ridiculous, but it's so much fun. And I feel like people actually write it off uh, kind of as like a, a stupid gross out spinal tap ripoff, you know, but you, you know, you see things that again, you know, the rotten tomato scores are very mixed. Nobody gave it more than like a seven. And you get to a point where when you're watching this movie, you have to sit and watch it because these jokes just sort of build and build and build. And you get to a point where things, yes, these are silly things, but also some of them are just ridiculously funny. There's a a point where um, the character that Andy plays was in a band. The band broke up. One of them has retired to be a farmer. And he's sitting on his farm. He's like, "Uh, this is my poppy award. And he holds up this thing that he carved out of wood. You can tell that it's fake because I never got a poppy award. (laughs) And it's, it's really, really well done mockumentary. But it's also got that Andy Samberg thing where he's like, you know, Fine. You helped me write it. Okay. I was late that day. You wrote most of it. Okay, fine. You wrote all of it, but I was there to help. You know what? I was gone that day. I, 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 I admit it. I called in sick. You wrote everything. And it's just one of these things that it just keeps building and building and building. And the last scene of the movie is a callback to something that happens in the first 25 minutes. Uh, spoiler alert. Seal gets killed. Poor no, seal. no, not seal. I know, right? But oh. if, you, if you can get past some of the, the cringe comedy, and there's a little bit of it here. It's not like Zach Galifianakis level, but, you know, Sarah Silverman is in this. Uh, the Lonely Island guys, Andy, Jorma, and Akiva are in it. And there are a lot of really great cameo things. Uh, Maya Rudolph pops up. Tim Meadows has the greatest line I have ever seen in a movie, and it's apparently completely ad-libbed. Somebody gives him service and he looks at him. He says, I will eat your head. I will eat your effing head. (laughs) I'm just like that. That is so a a thing that I want to say to people all day, every day. So if you've never seen it, take a deep breath, say to yourself, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to stew in the ridiculousness and go watch my number four pop star. Never stop. Never stopping. It's, I won't say it's 87 minutes of brilliance, 
but it's a good 60 minutes of brilliance and 27 minutes of things that you can get past. Plus it has a song in it called these are the things in my Jeep. Mm, there you go. How All right. Hate that? We have cracked into the top three. Top three I think top we've three, got some good three. ones coming up. My number three is again, a 2021 film. This is a Guillermo del Toro movie. It's actually a remake of an older uh, film uh, and also based on a novel by the same name. Of course, I'm talking about Nightmare Alley. Uh, this is, I know a lot of people think when they think Guillermo del Toro, they're thinking, you know, scary monsters and creepy things and weird stuff. And this is not quite that. I would say that this is kind of like a, at least a Crimson Manor. I think that was the name of that movie. Uh, Crimson mm -hmm. Manor at least had like the gothic horror ghosty type stuff going on. This is more of the human experience and how bad things can be during depression. So the story is about uh, the geek show or the freak show at carnivals and how, um, you know, the this community that builds up around it. And here's this uh, con artist guy played by uh, Bradley Cooper who comes in and he learns how to cold read people. He learns how to uh, suss out, you know, what people are holding in their hands. It's just those mentalism act type stuff. And instead of staying in the geek show uh, uh, community, he goes out and becomes a big to do guy in New York City. And he's making lots and lots of money. And secretly, we find out what really drove him to be this way. We also get a little side story about how do they get the geek at the geek show, the guy, the, the guy that will bite the heads off chickens and do all of these kinds of things. And it's a very creepy story, but I've been, again, apparently based on true facts uh, from this uh, from this novel Nightmare Alley. And mm. it just goes from weird to OK to really, really let's try to con a guy out of lots of money. And it ends horribly for everyone. It is, I think, an underrated movie because a lot of people were expecting a lot more from Guillermo del Toro. Again, I think they were wanting that scary uh, kind of stuff that he's done before, like Pan's Labyrinth. And so I think people uh, generally just gave it a pass and was like, ah, this doesn't look that uh, that freaky. Of course, it came out during a pandemic or towards the end of pandemic, March of 2022. Uh, it grossed uh, thirty nine million dollars worldwide against I, I forget what the budget was. It did. I don't think it made up its budget, but you can catch this. It's on HBO Max. If you have that, I think it's really well done. I think it's really well acted. I think the. Um, uh, the cinematography is well done. I think the directing is well done. The the um, uh, the scenery, the props and everything that they use to bring this world to life are fantastic. So we're looking at costume design, production design. And of course, the film has won uh, all sorts of awards and has been nominated for a ton of awards for things like best cinematography and costume design and production design and best picture, best director. Um, it has only won a couple of one best ensemble cast for the AARP movies for grownups awards. So there you go. There's, there's that. It also, uh, won a feature film production design and set decorator for, uh, from the American cinematique, uh, tribute to the crafts, uh, category. It was nominated for a bunch of, uh, Academy awards, but didn't win any of those. But I think if you haven't seen, I think you have Matthew, or at least you've seen the original mm -hmm. version of the film. Uh, it is worth mm -hmm. checking out just because it really dives into, psychological horror and what drives people and how easy it is to break people and how uh, mentally break them as well as play on people's um, gullib gullibility, uh, how gullible mm -hmm. people can be. 
And so I think that from that aspect, it's a fascinating movie and definitely, definitely, definitely worth uh, checking out. All right, Matthew, what do you have for number three? My number three, my number three is actually a movie that I think a lot of people consider to be a cult classic. Um, And it's one of those movies that I actually argued about putting on here. And then I looked and Roger Ebert panned it uh, at the time that it came out. Gene Siskel was like, eh. And I think the movie was hurt by the fact that it was released with a gimmick. You know, it wasn't quite as bad as the we're going to electrify one seat and call it the Tingler. But 1985's Clue actually had three different endings played in three different parts of the United States. And then once it actually came to VHS and the version that you can see on cable, they play all three endings. Uh, I believe at the time there may have been a contest, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to figure out which is the actual uh, ending. But I only vaguely remember that, and I can't necessarily find a whole lot of reference to it online. But it's a very small cast, uh, just like you'd expect from the from an adaptation of the board game Clue, which has six players. There are only about 12 or 15 people who actually have lines in the movie. There's our six main characters. There's some murder victims. And there's a lot of people in here. I think everybody in this movie, you kind of have a, hey, it's that guy. Eileen Brennan is in it. Uh, Frankenfurter from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, you get to a point where it's like, hey, that's Doc Brown. Hey, that's Lenny. But also, it's a pretty good movie. And it has uh, a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? It has a lot of fast back and forth. So it feels like one of those fast talking 40s pictures, you see. Oh, you got your high trousers. Yeah. Why? I oughta. And you get into a real vibe. And of course, it has one of the greatest uh, ad lib moments of all time where somebody asked Madeline Kahn's character what happened. And she's like, I hated her. So just flames, flames on the side of my face. And You can see throughout that moment that everyone there has no idea what she's doing or saying, but they all want to stay in character. And it's so much fun. And of course, when you do get to the ending, I feel like the ending C, which they claim is the quote unquote real ending, like these things are real, uh, is the most satisfying for everybody involved. But if you ever wanted to see Doc Brown carrying a pipe and just being completely skeevy and inappropriate. This is the movie for you. Um, But clue is also a movie that is remarkably funny. And I think didn't even make its budget back. And it was a cheap movie. It made like, it was like a $15 million movie in 1985, which I think today would be like a $77,000 movie. I don't know. But if you've never seen it, go see it. And then you will say, Oh, you're right, Matthew. That's a really, really great movie. Very cool. All right. Uh, before we get into our top two, I want to remind you that uh, if you enjoy the show and you like to see it continue, please come join us over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash major spoilers. Got a lot of extra stuff going on over there. Maybe we can uh, even crank out a few more shows during the month for you. Uh, top five related shows when you join us over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Okay, uh, my number two is the only superhero movie on my list. And surprise, <laughs> everybody, it's not Push. Although it should have been on there. Uh, 
Well, yeah, Jumper, I guess, is the other other one that could also be on there as well. Uh, but I didn't put those on there. In fact, I, I put this other one on here because it is a fascinating story. Um, it is by Julia Hart is who the director is. And uh, the screenplay is by Hart and Jordan Horowitz. And the story is about a woman. So this takes place in the future, as uh, as they all do. And the Midwest is just there's like no water. It's like super drought. People are, you know, fighting for water. Water is a commodity. Water is how you pay for pay for things. Uh, and she is trying to come back home for whatever reason. Uh, we find out that she's running from someone because she may have killed somebody. Uh, so we know that the law is after her for some reason. But we also kind of discover that she has the ability to create earthquakes uh, when she starts to get too agitated. Uh, that's kind of her power. Uh, she gets home and we find out that her mother is is there. We find out her mother has a power. We also find out that uh, our main character has a daughter and uh, she's abandoned the daughter with the mother. And as the story plays out, it's not only a story about people reconciling who they are and their relationships with one another. We also uh, learn about grief and what it means to be so fearful of something that you have or some ability that you have that you're willing to abandon your child uh, over, over this. And then just families coming back together and trying to, to reconcile with uh, horrible tragedies from the past at the same time that there are people coming to hunt you down and track you, uh, you know, drag you out to a science lab to figure out what makes you tick. This is a movie that my goodness, I don't even th- think broke a hundred thousand dollars at the box office, but it is mm-hmm. a, it is a well produced movie. The actors and actresses in this piece are really well done. Uh, the, I think the story is a great high concept story. When you think about, uh, superheroes and what their powers and abilities are. Uh, and then, I mean, you could almost think of this, this would definitely fit into like an X-Men type universe kind of thing, but it's not spandex. It's not people trying to save the day. It's not like there's a big, bad juggernaut that everybody has to bring down. But of course we all know that nothing stops the juggernaut. Um, but this is, this is a very quiet movie and the special effects, they use the special effects, uh, sparingly and they used it. I think they used them very, very well. And if you haven't seen this movie, I really, really would suggest that you check it out. It is really underrated. I am surprised that it didn't get uh, more notice from people. Uh, it, you know, hasn't won any awards, but it is, it, it's, uh, you know, uh, it's a mainly predominantly uh, black actor, director, producer type film. So if you're looking for films by people of color or uh, those people who are generally not represented uh, as much as they should be or could be in the Hollywood system, definitely check out fast color. It is, it's surprisingly good for what it is. It is a quiet movie. So it is a little bit slower for a superhero movie. So if that is, if you're just looking for something like El Royale that I mentioned a little bit ago, this isn't that film, but it's still really, really good. It's fast color. It came out in 2019, 2018 at South mm-hmm. by Southwest. And then a year later at uh, uh, just for general release. So there you go. Uh, cool. Matthew, what do you have for your number two? The year was 1996 and Tom Hanks was a genius who could do no wrong. 
and everyone said, hey, he wants to make a movie. Let's let him make a movie. And that movie was called That Thing You Do. Now, this is a movie that is recognized and is another one of those cult films. And I feel like as a whole, you know, on the whole, I think that this particular film is better remembered than any of the previous three. But I will also tell you that it is not as well regarded as it should be because this film is darn near perfect. And if you see the extended director's cut that recently came out, which puts in some of the missing material that actually kind of ties bits and pieces of the film together and answers some questions that were raised by the original, you know, the released version, you really do get a, an excellent, well-rounded experience. And um, I remember the first thing somebody said to me, I'm like, hey, have you seen the movie? And he looked at me and said, yeah, it's a great movie if you want to hear the same song over and over and over and over. And he's, he's not wrong, but it's never exactly the same version. And it's kind of a universal story. It's a story of a band that has one big hit, falls apart. They're literally called the wonders and Tom Hanks really kind of glues the whole thing together. Tom Hanks is the driving force, the manager for this band. So these characters are just sort of floating in the ether until Tom Hanks says, and now you go do this. And it's really neat. And as somebody who, you know, I've never been a part of a successful band, but I've been behind the scenes in the entertainment industry. And I will say this, this film has a scene where we are in the director's booth while a live program is going out on television. It is the most realistic director's booth scene I have ever seen in my life. Uh, and this takes place in the 1960s. So it's actually the same machine that I was using in the 1990s in Hayes. Uh, but if you've never seen that thing you do, or if you're like, ah, Tom Hanks, ugh. I don't want to see something that he wrote and directed. It really is good. And Tom Everett Scott is the main character. He's great. Liv Tyler does make a kind of a living of playing these not quite manic pixie dream girls, sort of like a really relaxed pixie dream girl. But the whole cast is wonderful. And uh, Jonathan Sheck, who, uh, if you know him for anything these days, is probably for playing Jonah Hex on uh, the CW. Mm -hmm. You have the moment where you get to see him as a 19-year-old basically trying to be John Lennon. And it's one of the most amazing things you'll ever see. So go watch it. I, I do recommend the director's cut with the additional uh, scenes because you do get a delightful <laughs> scene of Tom Hanks drunk. You, the, uh, the director's cut that has the same song done 24 other times. <laughs> Hush. It actually has Tom Hanks drunk and we meet his character's boyfriend, which in the actual version that was released was only implied that Mr. White is gay. It's definitely there. We see him flirting with guys and we see these moments, but we actually meet uh, the character's boyfriend. And it's a moment that I see why they cut it, because all it really does is, you know, give a little bit of roundness to the background character of Mr. White, but gosh, it's fun, especially if you've seen the movie a hundred times like I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are into our number one slots and my number one slot, man, I don't remember how I found this movie cause it is super independent. 
It may have been one of those uh, snooty uh, uh, movie websites that are like, five movies from South by Southwest, you must check out this week. Um, but I think maybe the the real thing that got me into this was the fact that it has a four minute long tracking shot at the beginning of the movie. And for whatever reason, I was going down the rabbit hole of movies that have long tracking shots like the player has a long tracking shot uh, in mm-hmm. its in its opening. Uh, you see some of the others that that do this as well. Um, but this one was done by an independent uh, filmmaker who uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Andrew Patterson. Mm hmm. And he made this movie on a budget of $700,000, $20,000 of which was spent to uh, repaint the floor of a high school gym uh, because they this is a period piece. It takes place in the 1960s. And so they needed to remove the three-point line from the basketball court uh, because they wanted it to look <laughs> authentic because they found this old, this old uh, uh, basketball court, this high school in, I think, New Mexico is where they shot this. But the premise of this piece is everyone is at the local basketball game, uh, you know, on a Friday night, uh, like you do in small town America. And again, this takes place in New Mexico. So the only people that are really out and about are Mm -hmm. a radio station disc jockey who's kind of working the late night overnight and a local phone uh, switchboard operator. And through the process of the goings on of the story, they start to receive mysterious signals, perhaps mysterious signals from uh, a UFO. And so this is a story about a UFO landing in New Mexico in the 1961 and how these two get involved in trying to figure out what's going on. It is a mystery film. It is a science fiction film, but it's also kind of thrilling. It's kind of also got the thriller aspect of it because it's, it's not quite found footage, but it's also these people trying to figure out, trying to put all the pieces together of what actually is going on with these voices. They, they end up uh, it's brilliantly done because of such a small um, cast that most of the other actors are not on camera. They're on the radio or on the phone uh, the entire time. And so it's really these two running through this town that seems virtually abandoned because everyone's at the basketball game and it is, (laughs) it's really well done. Uh, it's got nobody that, you know, I mean, it's, it's got some actors in it that have some IMDb credits, but if you were to watch this, you're like, there's no big name, uh, person on here as of yet, but man, it's good. It's again, it's a slow piece. I think you could probably cut out about 10 minutes out of this thing, but, uh, I think this is only the uh, Peterson's uh, or Patterson's, uh, second film that he's done. Most of his stuff is, um, uh, you know, commercial work type stuff, but right. it's, it's, if you like, if you like kind of UFO cheap budget UFO type movies, uh, mm-hmm. this is definitely something to worth, uh, worth checking out. I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's been a while since I've seen it. This came out in 2020. Uh, so I watched this, you know, right at, you know, the, the, the height of pandemic as we were going into lockdown and everybody's staying at home. And I'm like, Oh man, I need to see something. And this barely clocks in at a feature film length. It's only 89 minutes long. Uh, so that may oh, be wow. why they needed that 10 minutes uh, to make sure that it can get a feature film uh, length. But uh, it's really quick. It's it's a lot of fun with a lot of creepy scares, not like jump scares or here comes a monster lookout kind of scares, but just kind of X-File-ish vibes kind of uh, scares in it. But Vast of Night 2019, 2020, that is my number one underrated movie that I think you should go and watch right now. 
Cool. Yeah. Matthew, what uh, what do you have for your number one slot this week? My number one was in retrospect, the obvious choice. And it was one of the first movies that I put in my, you know, my working film. And I realized that uh, very rarely do I actually do a, a legitimate countdown countdown, because sometimes it's hard to say, well, this is definitely better than that. And this is definitely better than that. But I feel like this is the number one underrated movie that I could give you. This is the one that I feel would be at the below at the top of any given ranking. And that mm-hmm. is vanilla sky. Because mm-hmm. when this movie came out, uh, Tom Cruise was at the height of his Tom Cruisiness and Penelope Cruz, who plays the main female character was the it girl at the time. And they were dating. And so it was, you know, they were all over the news and it was just a whole thing. And everybody was like, oh, my God, this great big new movie. Kurt Russell is in it. Cameron Diaz. It's going to be huge. And it just kind of landed with a big. But now that I've actually had 20 years to process (laughs) and it may take that. And the fact that, you know, I accidentally saw this movie in bits and pieces before I think I probably saw the whole film four times out of order anachronically before I actually sat down and watched it top to bottom. And this is a good movie. This is a really good movie. And as you get to the point at the end of the film, you realize that it has multiple interpretations. You can read the ending in three or four different ways. And the fact that one of those is it could be the dream of a dying man should make me mad. But instead, it works. This whole film works in a way that I I can't really even explain to you. And, you know, people hate this film. People talk terribly about this film. Nobody seems to have reviewed it really, really well. And I don't know that it's falling into that cult classic realm just yet, although it's a Cameron Crowe movie. I feel like it'll get there. All Cameron Crowe movies do. You know, you have that thing where you're like, oh, say anything. That's a cult classic. Uh, what about that? Singles. That's a cult classic. Fast Times at Richmond High, which he didn't direct, but, you know, it was his. You have that whole thing of it shows up. People look at it and go, huh. Okay. And then a couple of years later, they're like, oh, man, that Elizabeth Town, that was actually really good. Uh, so, you know, I, I haven't seen We Bought a Zoo. But you, to me, if you get a chance to watch Vanilla Sky and if you can watch it with clear eyes and not let, you know, Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise over Cruise your Toms, I really feel like this movie, this movie should have been bigger than it was. And it could be bigger than it is in retrospect. So go you listen, you see, you listen, you go, and then wait for the moment near the end of the film, the creepiest moment ever in film. Noah Taylor spikes the camera, but for a very, very good in-story, perfectly justified reason. And every, just thinking about it right now, I'm getting goosebumps. Every time I see that, I'm like, ah, what am I going to do? So, yes, go watch it. All right. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Some movies that uh, some of them you've probably seen many, many times. Others you may be going, wow, I have never heard of this film. And that's why they're underrated. 
Uh, go check them out this week. Perhaps you have some films that you thought maybe should be on the list. These are our lists, not necessarily your list. What you can do, though, is share your list over on our Discord server in the Top 5 channel. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. We can't wait for you to show up. Then hop down into the uh, Top 5 channel, share your Top 5 underrated movies. Other people will share their Top 5 underrated movies. Everyone will love them. Everyone will read them. Everyone will uh, comment on them. Why? Because, of course, everyone loves a list. And we will talk with you again very soon. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.